This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Wyndham. Your work can take you all over the place, like Texas. You've never been, but it's going to be great because you're staying at La Quinta by Wyndham. Their free bright side breakfast will give you energy for the day ahead. And after, you can unwind using their free high-speed Wi-Fi. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you shine. Book your stay today at LQ.com. Hello, my friend. I've been doing some work behind the scenes to revamp my email strategy and make it a lot more robust. That's why I spoke with Matt McGarry in episode number 145 of this show and why I'm speaking with today's guest, Chanel Basilio. Chanel is the writer of Growth in Reverse, a weekly newsletter where she reverse engineers how a top creator grew from zero to 50,000 email subscribers. She's also a member of The Lab. Chanel has done deep dives on Justin Welsh, Cody Sanchez, Lenny Rachitsky, Harry Dry, and many more. This is a newsletter that I genuinely read every single week, and I think it's incredibly well done. The premise is super clear, and as a result, Chanel has seen her own newsletter, Growth in Reverse, grow very quickly. She's getting close to 10,000 subscribers in just about four months. So in this episode, we are nerding out on some very creator science-y things. Chanel shares with us the common patterns between these newsletter creators that she has studied, some of the most effective growth tactics that she's uncovered, and there's some really interesting ones, and what's working for her right now with her own newsletter. I'd love to hear your thoughts on this episode as you listen. Just tag me on Twitter or Instagram at jklaus. Say hello. Let me know that you're listening. And now let's dive in. Let's talk with Chanel. All right, Chanel, we're doing it. We're making it happen. So glad to, to have some time to pick your brain and learn all about what you've been learning with Growth in Reverse. But before we dive into that, I actually don't know the origin of why you started this newsletter in the first place. Can you talk a little bit about the inspiration for Growth in Reverse? Yeah, sure. So I have been helping clients with paid ads since about 2017. Um, and I've been able to help them like grow their newsletter with paid stuff. But I've always been curious like how people did that without paid ads, like organically, just through social, that kind of thing. But I know email is important. Like I've seen people send it one email out and make like tens of thousands of dollars overnight. So I was like, what? And then I started hearing about people like uh, Mario Gabrielli with The Generalist, and he had over 50,000 subscribers. He was making like $300,000 a year. And I was like, how are people doing this? Like it just didn't make sense. So I really wanted to kind of reverse engineer how they do that. Why reverse engineer in public versus just do it, you know, in your quiet time in the off hours? 
Um, it felt like a lot of work and I didn't see anyone else doing it. So I thought it would be something, <laughs> something cool to share with the world. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Really good stuff. One of the newsletters that I read every week. So let's dive in. Let's talk about some of the things that you have reverse engineered. And I'm really interested in the patterns. I think, I think what not enough people value are the individuals who go broad in who and what they study so that they can distill that into patterns. A lot of times we get stuck on kind of like a one track, one creator mind. And so I'm excited to nerd out and just hear, you know, across this, this group of newsletter operators, what you've learned. Let's talk about some of the, some of the things they have in common. What are some of the trends that you're seeing across these, these creators? Um, so some of them are kind of boring. <laughs> um, the main one is like, it takes two to three years minimum, like end of story, unless you have this massive following and you start a newsletter today, you might be able to grow it that fast, but it's just going to take time. And I know people don't want to hear that, but it's just what I've seen across all of these. Um, two, even if you have paid ads, so two to three years to hit 50,000 subscribers. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. 50,000 or like a, a meaningful income of over six okay. figures. Okay. So that's kind of the big one. I mean, Justin Walsh was able to do it faster, but he was growing his LinkedIn audience for, you know, two, three years before he even started his newsletter. So there are some outliers, but it's kind of like, if you look at the back end, like there's no real overnight success as we know anyway. <laughs> totally. Okay. So two to three years, that makes sense. In my case, it's like six years. So if you're slower than two to three years, don't feel bad. Uh, what else? One of the big things is just kind of starting with great content. I know, again, it sounds kind of boring, but if you don't have something good to talk about, and there are like five things that I've pulled out of this, but if you don't have something good to talk about, like people aren't going to share it, you're not going to be able to use all these like growth tactics that you hear about. So the five things that I've seen are unique content. So you have somebody like uh, Kat Norton who combined Excel with like TikTok and nobody was doing that at the time. So that's kind of a unique aspect where you have Cody Sanchez who had like all of these really cool life experiences of like buying these boring businesses, but she was able to start sharing those with people online. And that was kind of different. So that's the unique angle. The next one is something that takes time. So like Lenny Richitsky is one that I've done recently. And he, his biggest thing is he said, forget all of the growth hacks the best pieces of content that I have, like the ones that went viral are the ones that he spent the most time on. So it's something that takes time. And I'm seeing this with growth in reverse. Like every day I hear people saying like, your content's amazing. I'm like, but it takes 20 to 25 hours right. every week <laughs> to put these together. Oh my gosh. I want to pause on this yeah. for a second because I think about this all the time. And it's actually really frustrating to me because I show up on YouTube, I show up in audio, I show up in email, I show up on Twitter, on LinkedIn, not to mention, you know, all the conversations we're having in the lab. And so it just doesn't leave a lot of space on a weekly basis to go that deep. And I really want to, you know, like that's something that, especially as, as you grow as a creator, I think you start to really crave is like, all right, I want to go deeper. I want to, I want to use my advantage of an audience and some comfort and some time to now just make assets, make content that other people can't or won't because it's just harder and more in-depth. And so something I wish I would have known earlier on is to exercise restraint in all the places I'm showing up so that I can reserve more time to put towards the main thing. You know, that's, that is what's so great about growth in reverse is it's so in-depth. It's very clear that you spent a lot of time on this and that's difficult to you know, compete with if other people see, oh, I like this. I, I can do that too. Yeah. No, but I mean, at the same time, you're creating that value. It's kind of like behind closed doors, but not really. Like, I don't know, people see it. It's just not 
in the way that you would see like Lenny's posts or that kind of thing. So it's just different. Okay. So, so far we have, it takes two to three years. It Mm -hmm. needs to be great content, which means that it's either unique or it takes a lot of time. The other one is that it could save you time. So like uh, Mario Gabrielli, a lot of his audience is like tech focused VC type people. And when new companies or startups are trying to go public, they have to put out this thing called an S1 report which I didn't know what this was at the time, but learning about it, I'm like, this is so smart. So he knew that all of his audience was, or a lot of his audience was going through and digging through these S1 reports and learning about these companies before they were going to invest or decide not to invest. So what he did is as soon as those reports come out, he digs into all the data, all the information, and he puts out like a quick summary so that all these people that were spending five, 10, 20 hours on this we're now saving all that time. And I don't know that he still does this, but he did it for a while. And I know it was a really big success. That's also a trend that I see, though, is a lot of times the things that people do that get them to a certain level of success, they end up discontinuing in favor of something else. But like it was so fundamental. And, and sometimes it feels like an opportunity to like pick back up. Yeah. As a, as a quick aside, there was this story I read about software development. And they were given the example of Atlassian and their product Jira. This is a weird start, but stick with me. So for people who aren't familiar with Jira, Jira is this software tool that basically product development teams use. They can keep track of feature requests, things that they're working on to make the product better, bug tickets, bug reports in the software, things like that. As companies mature and time goes on, you know, Atlassian, they are improving their products all day, every day. And as years pass, that means that the product's just gonna get bigger and bigger and bigger and better and more full featured. What happens is you end up with a, a part of the market who says, I actually don't want this really robust, really heavy thing that's usually higher priced. I just want something really simple. And so Atlassian came in and bought Trello because Trello was now filling this part of the market where it's just this really simple product management software because they had gone out of that market. There was an XY graph that I looked at where it shows like time and product complexity and Jira had gone up and to the right, leaving a a hole in the market of uh, not complex, not expensive. And Trello came in and filled that. Anyway, as you see creators who are doing things successfully and growing, and now they're on to something else, they might vacate a spot in the market for you to use a similar strategy. Like maybe Mario's not doing these S1s anymore. And that's a spot for someone else to come in and say, well, let me kickstart my thing doing this then. hundred percent. I think it's with across every industry. It's like the unbundling of things. Like these companies start out really small and, and niche, and then they grow too big to be able to even fill that need anymore. So they just, people can come in and kind of restart where they were. Anything else that you're seeing of uh, commonalities across these successful newsletters? Yeah. I mean, you're going to love this one. Uh, community, all of them, or at least a majority of them have been part of some kind of community. And whether you create your own community or you join somebody else's community, I mean, they're all part of something. Uh, the biggest one that I've actually found out more recently, um, I did a deep dive on Paulina Pompliano uh, for trends. And I found out that she was part of Type House, which was like Nathan Bashes's like 40 person kind of iteration of some like TikTok group. Right. Um, but they, he did it for newsletter writers. And so that was like, Lenny was in there, Packy, McCormick, David Perel, like a bunch of huge names. 
So you're saying community in they're a part of a supportive community of other peers or that they're creating a community of their own? Either one. So like Dickie Bush created his own, but these other ones were just part of somebody else's. Yeah, I think about this a lot too, because as a community builder, it's a strength of mine. It's something I can do effectively. It's something that's benefited me. But there are also times during my life, during my day where I'm like, I want to be a member of something that I'm not driving the bus on, you know? So it's really nice to, to find a community of people that it's, it's just a good fit for you and you can tap in when you want to and not feel obligated not to when you don't. Right. And again, like a lot of these people are growing their newsletters via social media. So having the community to like, like, and comment on their posts, like that helps too, even if just to bounce ideas off as well. So totally. I think the other, the other piece of this is like start niche and then you can go bigger. So a lot of people think that they need to start really broad. Uh, but if you pick something small, like, you know, with Daphne Gomez, she went just on teacher, like helping teachers or Nathan Baugh started with a sports newsletter and then he decided he was going to expand into like storytelling altogether later on. So if you start smaller and kind of figure out what's working, you know, find your voice, start getting subscribers, and then you can kind of play around in these other fields. I agree with that. Anecdotally, what, I, what I'm seeing, and I'd love to get your take on this. It seems like if you want to grow a newsletter, you really need to think of the newsletter as a product itself, Right. Like this is this is a thing I'm making. It just so happens that it's free or most of these things are free. But what I see from a lot of people who want to grow their email list is it's so secondary. And, you know, their call to action is like subscribe to my newsletter. And that's like literally it. And, and the, the brand is under their name. And it's like, why? Why would I do that? So I think what you're saying about starting niche, it really helps to define the product. You know, what what is this thing? What can I expect from it? Who is it for? When you are more narrow in, in what the job to be done of that product is, it's more compelling and actually calls out to the people who fit that market. 100%. Yeah. And I know um, Jesse Anderson, who ADHD Jesse is what he goes by. He talked about this on one of his podcast episodes that once he switched to a paid subscription model, it was much easier for his brain to recognize it as a product, like you were mm. saying. So it's kind of like taking it from something like, oh, I'm just creating this for fun to, oh, wait, this is how I'm getting paid now. I need to take this seriously. Totally. I, I caught up with James Clear recently. A lot of people ask me, how did you get James Clear as the second episode of your podcast? Well, it's because we had a pre-existing relationship. So James and I know each other because he lives here in Columbus, Ohio. And we met up recently and he reminded me, he was like, I think of myself as an entrepreneur. He's like, my writing is a product, but it's because I saw that as an opportunity. You know, like he, he thinks of himself as an entrepreneur and the product is his newsletter and his book. And I think that's a really healthy way to think about your newsletter, honestly, is, is to think like, okay, I am an entrepreneur and this is the product and this has to serve a role for somebody and people will have to feel like they would regret it if it wasn't here. And it might be something that they want to pay for. So I, I love that frame of thinking. Just a quick break for our sponsors and we'll be right back to the show. This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. Last year, my wife and I started talking about her joining the business full time. This is a huge decision, not just for the business, but for our marriage. My wife, being the very smart and thoughtful woman that she is, suggested that we proactively sign up for therapy as a couple to help us communicate better before we started working together. It really helped us have better language to describe how we're feeling and listen to one another, which generally lowers the intensity of any conversation. Now, I had never been in therapy before, but here's something that I didn't expect. 
It didn't just help our dialogue, but it helped my inner monologue too. The way I understand my own experience has changed based on the tools that I got from therapy. If you're thinking about starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, so it's convenient, it fits your schedule, and you can be in the comfort of your own home. Just fill out a short questionnaire and you'll get matched with a licensed therapist. They even make it easy to switch therapists if it doesn't feel like a fit. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com creator today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P, dot creator. This episode is sponsored by Podcast Movement. For the past decade, Podcast Movement has organized the world's largest gathering of podcasters, featuring thousands of attendees, hundreds of breakout sessions, panels, and workshops, plus the largest trade show in podcasting. Podcast Movement helps podcasters of all experience levels create, grow, and profit from their show. It's suitable for beginners, but you'll also have the opportunity to meet some of the biggest names in the industry. I've been to several Podcast Movement events, and not only is the programming incredible, but the culture and vibe are incredible too. It attracts thoughtful, empathetic, and collaborative people, which makes sense when you think about the medium of podcasting. Podcast Movement hosts two events per year. The first just wrapped up, but their flagship conference is happening August 19th through the 22nd in Washington, D.C. Attendees have the freedom to choose their own adventure across several different stages throughout the four-day event, not to mention dozens of amazing networking events, parties, and the expo hall floor. Tracks include podcast creation, video and live streaming, industry professional, plus several stages of curated programming from some of the top companies in podcasting. It's truly a unique event, and if you are a podcaster, I cannot recommend it enough. Right now, tickets are available at super duper early bird pricing. And as a Creator Science listener, you can save $50 on top of that by visiting podcastmovement.com science. That's podcastmovement.com science. And now, back to the show. Do you have some tactical ideas, some, some of the takeaways you've had of like, okay, here are tactically what these creators are doing that some of us can emulate? Yeah. So some of these are kind of unique in a sense. Um, and then some are kind of, I've seen across a couple of different peoples. So one of the more fun ones was like with the gist, it's a women focused sports newsletter. So it's kind of very niche, but not really. It's half the population. Um, they had an in-person launch party. So mm. they they lived in somewhere in Canada. I think it was Montreal. I'm probably getting this wrong. But anyway, the local Shopify store, they reached out to them and they were like, hey, can we use your space? So they got free space. They got a bunch of local businesses to sponsor like goodie bags and all the food was included as well. And your ticket to get in was just your email address. So Wow. Yeah. So they had 250 people show up. Uh, it was like this fun party. They all wore their sports jerseys. Um, and then they asked everyone to refer three to five friends. So they said like after that, they got up to a thousand subscribers like overnight. Wow. And I, had, I had never heard of anyone doing that before. So I thought that was really unique. I feel like in-person marketing like that is wildly underrated. I mean, it's slower. You, you hear like a similar story actually with the Morning Brew guys. You haven't done a growth in reverse on Morning Brew yet, have you? No. Okay, I want to come back to that and, and talk about why not. Um, but that's kind of what they did. Like they they were in college and they would literally first go to classes and kind of illegally 
get people to give them their email address and sign them up. And then, uh, then they hired like ambassadors, brand ambassadors to do that same thing, but at scale, both at their university and at other universities, wildly underrated. I agree. Did they, people don't do it. Did they incentivize the, the sharing? Did they just incentivize the referring or was it just goodwill? I think it was just goodwill. Wow. I need 250 yeah. friends who would refer three friends. <laughs> I mean, I think if you get to go to a free party with like free alcohol, free drinks, uh, free enough. food, you're. The next one that I think is probably the most fun, um, Cody Sanchez actually sticking in line with her whole business, buying businesses. She actually bought a couple of newsletters Hmm. and (laughs) um, instead of just like doing a whole rebrand and adding all the subscribers to her newsletter, she took the, she bought the newsletter and then she started changing the content a little bit. So she would leave most of it, but put her contrarian thinking as like a cross promotion or like a sponsored buy. And she did this for, I don't know, probably 90 days or so. And then she would like keep growing it on the side. And then she eventually sold it again. What? That's real. <laughs> she did that. She did that. How many, how many newsletters? I don't know. She mentioned it on one podcast and she had said she had done it twice, but she could have done it more since then. Really? I thought that was fascinating. It's fascinating. The the uh, continuing to grow and then resell the asset is the fascinating part about this. Wow. That but is it's right o- up her angle, right? Like she totally. buys and sells businesses. Totally. And then that becomes content. Like I'm sure she, right. <laughs> if she hasn't written about that, I'm very surprised about it. But I haven't heard her say that before. And that's I so either. brilliant. She mentioned it on like one podcast and I was like, what? <laughs> oh my goodness. Yeah. Uh, my next move is I'm going to buy your newsletter, Chanel, and I'm <laughs> going to keep growing it. Uh, <laughs> sell it back. <laughs> sell it back to you. <laughs> uh, okay. Uh, These are amazing tactics. Let's keep going. <laughs> the next one was a little different, and I, it's actually one that I copied. So the referral program. So Ali, uh, who runs first1000.co, where he kind of like does growth in reverse, but for startups on how they got their first 1000 customers. So he, instead of just giving away like morning brew shirts and stuff like that, he would say like, if you refer five people, you get your name in this little section. And for him, he said he got over 2,500 subscribers in one year doing this, which is awesome. Mine has not seen that success, but it's doing okay. I've seen you doing this and I was just messaging you about this because I'm, I guess, maybe envious, but also just like curious. I'm like, okay, I could do that. I think that could be really nice. Maybe you want to share this on the record. Maybe you don't. How how much do you see in terms of click traffic from readers to the names of the people who get recognized? Tons. Really? Yeah. It's it's a lot. I'm almost thinking of making that part, like adding like a little sponsor part to it. Because, I mean, a lot of people come back and they're like, whoa, I gave you only 10 subscribers and you gave me like 40. So Wild. <laughs> yeah. Wild. Okay. Yeah. Good to know. So, I mean, that one, it's it's a hit or miss for me. Like, I've had one day where some guy was like, hey, I'm going to share this with my huge newsletter. And I got like 120 subscribers from it. Um, but then every other day, I'm probably getting like two or three, which, again, not bad. We always wonder about with, with things like this in the design of the email template itself. I wonder... At what point does it almost just blend in like a footer? And I'm thinking about mostly like the the uh, referral area of the newsletter, not the let me show you the names of people who have referred it because that's visibly different each week since there are different people there. But I think what happened with me when I was initially using SparkLoop is in the beginning, you put it there. It's new. It calls out attention because people haven't seen it before. If they're interested, they take in, they take action. 
But then after a couple of months, it just felt like it blended in like the footer of my email and people didn't even think about it anymore. And, and so I feel like if and when I bring it back, I'm going to do it very intermittently, you know, where it's like, I'm going to put this out for a couple of weeks and then I'm going to take it away. Then I'm going to bring it back and maybe the, the incentive will be different. But I think that's how I would do it. What, how are you thinking about it so far? Yeah. I mean, I've, I've noticed, I think it kind of blends into the bottom and a lot of people don't get all the way to the bottom of an email anyway. So who knows if they actually see it, but people definitely see it. I just probably could call it out better in the middle of the newsletter. But that's something I think about too. Like I like visually blocking things in a newsletter. So it's very clear delineation between sections, you know, like this is one idea. This is another idea. This is another idea. And I like coloring some of those sections. So it makes sense to color like the sponsored section of the newsletter. And what I see from other newsletters is they don't do that. And it probably drives more results. The design snob in me doesn't like that. But I recognize that it's probably like the better business case to go with making like different colored call outs. Do you see any patterns with colors and design in these newsletters? I think they're all over the place. Like some of them are on Substack, and you don't really have too much control over that. Some of them have, I mean, they all really have their own like unique look, but I think with you, I think if you changed it up a little bit, maybe had some more contrasting colors for those blocks, it could work. Okay. So recapping the tactics so far, we got in-person launch party. Love it. Buying other newsletters. Love it even more. Referral program, love it, but a little bit less than buying other newsletters. Mm -hmm. uh, what else is on your list? So going back to this Ali story, like, so he stopped doing that and now he does, he changes it up to a different lead magnet of sorts every month. So within a month, you have to um, get 20 or however many he has that month to subscribe. So as soon as the first of the month hits, it resets at zero mm. and you're kind of missed that one. So that's what he's been at since um, he switched it from there and it seems to be working. It sounds like so much work. So much work. Sounds like so much work. It sounds like if I took the same amount of effort to run that program <laughs> and just instead found other newsletters to cross promote with or built a system for another means of distribution. But I don't know. I mean, as the newsletter grows, if you have 10% of people who are actively trying to pursue that incentive every month as an arbitrary number, but whatever percent it is, as the newsletter grows, that's significantly more people every month who are sending the same number of referrals, you know, 10% higher or whatever it is. So that that yeah. could be interesting. I could see that. Yeah, me too. But also on the end of like the flip side of it, I feel like a lot of people have success with like, here's something if you refer one or two people, because a lot of the, especially if you're, you have a newsletter where it's not people who have larger audiences, like where are you going to find 25 people to refer yeah. something like that to? Yeah. So that's what uh, Louis at Sparkloop would recommend. He's, he's actively recommended that to me before, which is like, have something that is so easy that anybody can do it. But you end up with like a lot of people who are just like, here's my second, second. burner email address. <laughs> right. Which is annoying. <laughs> it's very annoying. I've gotten that too. And I'm like, really? Yeah. Yeah. It's a little, a little harder to do that when you need three referrals. But I feel like when you have one or two, it's very easy to be like, all right, here's my. And then there are people who are really, who are really smart and sophisticated. And are like, okay, so I'm going to be J plus creator at jklaus.com, J plus creator two at jklaus.com and just use like the Gmail plus game. If you don't yeah. know what I'm talking about, good. I don't want you to sign up for my email list 10 times. <laughs> I had someone do that and I just didn't add them. I was like, this is silly. <laughs> you shouldn't. There should be some terms of, of service against that. Right. So another one that 
a lot of them use, but I don't know how effective it is anymore, but I think I'm going to test it out, is a product hunt launch. Ah. So so like Packy McCormick did this. He saw pretty good success. Ali from First 1000 we were just talking about. Harry Dry did it. Uh, but the most successful one was Drew Riley from Trends.VC. He said that in a matter of days from his product hunt launch, he went from 7,000 subscribers to 25,000. I think he might have said that on uh, on this podcast too. A lot, a lot of familiar names and faces here. Yeah. I agree. So I've, I've always thought about this as a strategy. And what I don't understand, because I just haven't done the small amount of work to, to explore this, but I think you have, what does the campaign on Product Hunt look like? Like how do you market a newsletter and make it seem like you're not just doing an email grab to an audience that I think is probably kind of allergic to that type of behavior? Yeah, that's a great question. A lot of them put in a ton of research into figuring out like all the tips and hacks you can do on the back end. And I have not done that yet, but I want to just to test it out and see how it goes nowadays. But it's it's getting harder and harder to get on like product of the day or anything. So that's, I don't know. We'll see. Yeah. It seems, it seems really tough to walk that line. And it seems like if you are going to do a product hunt launch that you want to be wildly successful from an email perspective, it probably helps to like bring your own people to it, you know, like mm -hmm. instead of having it be the, the strategy you use when you're at, you know, starting and launching and have zero subscribers. It's something that you do when you have a couple thousand and you come to your own email list and said, hey, we're on product hunt. You know, uh, if you if you're a product hunt user, come on over, check it out. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. So I think one of the bigger things that you're supposed to do is like send an email as soon as it goes live, like even if it's at 1 a.m. their time so that if somebody's awake and they're there, they can start like interacting with your product hunt page. I did an interview with Corey Haynes. So if you're watching this or listening to this, and you're like, I want to learn more about product hunt. Go back, find my Corey Haynes intro. We dive into how to do product hunt well. So that should walk us through this. There's a guy uh, I'm taking us off track just a little bit. There's a guy who runs the blog workspaces dot XYZ, I think. XYZ. And he told me that he did a similar strategy, but it wasn't product hunt. It was hacker news. So he said that he did an AMA on hacker news talking about like, Hey, I have this newsletter. We grew it to this many subscribers AMA. And he said that AMA, I don't remember if he said he doubled it, but it was a huge amount of growth that he told me that he had. Uh, and the AMA wasn't like, and here's the URL, like just by hosting the AMA, not talking about the newsletter, people got curious, searched it out. They said he had a huge day. And I think he's done the product hunt thing since because I'm looking at his website right now and it has featured on product hunt with 743 upvotes. That's a lot. So maybe, maybe product hunt is a big opportunity because most people who are launching products on product hunt don't have audiences. If you're a newsletter operator, you probably have a leg up in terms of the number of people who would go to bat for you. Yeah. But you really got a couple people doing it recently and they've gotten it like two to 3,000 minimum email subscribers. Why am I not doing this? Why have I not done it yet, Chanel? <laughs> I don't know. I need, to, I need to do the research here to see how people frame this so I don't feel dirty. Like I need to feel like this is interesting as a product uh, and frame it that way. Because it won't be interesting for everybody probably. Like it, it probably needs to be ancillary to tech or business for this strategy to work, I would guess, but I don't know. I think it could do well. Maybe you could launch like your lab light or whatever you're calling it now. Yeah. Oh, maybe, maybe just a quick break for our sponsors and we'll be right back to the show. 
Your brain needs support. And new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L-theanine, and caffeine. Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y dot These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI. It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com wonder. And now back to the show. Okay, so we've got product hunt launch. Anything else tactically that you've seen? More of just like optimizing stuff. Like Harry Dry is a master with like conversion rate optimization and just trying to figure out how to convert the traffic that you're getting into email subscribers. So his big thing is always like, you can have 10,000 people come to your website and 1% of them convert, you'll have 100 subscribers. But if you have 5,000 people come, and it converts 2%, you have the same number of subscribers. So you need less people to come to your website. So he's all about like trying to find ways that you can improve that so that you don't need as many people to come. How many of the people that you, I was going to say talk to, but you do such deep research where you hear them talking in interviews and I don't know, do you do any firsthand conversations with these people before you publish? Not yet. The only one I did was Pat Walls. I had to ask him because because his uh, newsletter went from like 240,000 people to 85. And I was like, something's wrong. I need to ask why this happened. Interesting. Well, I'm sure that's yeah. going to become more of a part of your process as you build leverage because your own audience is growing. But how often do they talk very analytically and from a data perspective? Yeah. I mean, some of them do, a lot of them don't. So I, I'm realizing that a lot of the people that are on like the indie hackers community or product hunt themselves, like uh, Harry Dry, Pat Walls, Drew Riley, they all talked about it because they're kind of building in public, if you will. So they're like, hey, I did this and I was able to improve my conversion rate. So some of them do, but a lot of people don't. But you can kind of tell based on like, I don't know, if they keep changing stuff or testing things out. Yeah, that's kind of what I'm getting at. Like, even if they don't talk about it publicly, do you get the sense that most of the people who are hitting these high number of subscribers or earning a lot from their list do you think that they're thinking about it analytically? I think most of them are after a point. Like in the beginning, I don't know that it's worth it necessarily. Like it could be, but once you have like a flywheel going of people coming to your site, like it's more and more important to be able to convert those people. Okay. Optimizing stuff, optimizing traffic, optimizing conversion. That makes yeah. a lot of sense. So like Drew Riley, I found almost 20 iterations of his homepage in the first year. I was like, what? <laughs> How did you find them? Did you do the Wayback Machine? Yeah. It's the best thing on the internet. Interesting. So you did the Wayback Machine to find 20 different iterations of it. Mm -hmm. 
And what, yeah. what did you learn from looking at 20 different iterations of trends to be seen? be more specific of like what people are getting. So in the beginning, his big headline just said trends.vc. And it's like, okay, what, what does that mean? <laughs> <laughs> and then after a while, he eventually changed it to like join 20,000 people getting the top trends in their inbox every week or something. Uh, and then he started adding like subscriber count and that kind of thing. So, I mean, most of it's minimal. So like you don't have a ton of pictures or like testimonials, like they're just giving you their email. They're not buying something. You don't need all of that in the beginning. So that's kind of how my homepage came about was just looking at his. Have you noticed how many newsletter products, we'll call them, use the word smarter as the like the selling point? A lot of them. It's wild. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know if this is a situation where like somebody had an insight and it was working and everyone followed suit or somebody thought it would be a good idea and everyone assumed it was working. So they also followed suit. Yeah, I, I don't know. I think it's almost a mix of both. Like, oh, my my thing makes you smarter. And then you see somebody else saying it in a different niche. So you just kind of copy it. And now I'm saying it and it works. I mean, it took me a while <laughs> to figure out how I wanted to frame this anyway. But uh, saying like, okay, creator science, no matter what platform we're on, we're helping you be a smarter creator. I was like, that that fits. That's good. But, you know, it was like literally when I when I was doing this research, I saw that the the CTA for Morning Brew and The Hustle were exactly the same. They were exactly the same. And it was using that language. And there was a third then that I saw where I thought, okay, three makes a trend. Well, we'll give That's this awesome. a shot. <laughs> I love that. I love that you just took it and ran with it. Yeah, yeah, I did. I was like, all right, fine, but different audience. I would say the one other thing that's really cool is most people, like you think you should drive all of your traffic just to the newsletter. So, you know, LinkedIn, TikTok, whatever, Twitter, whatever platforms you're on, you're sending people to the newsletter. And that is good. But Harry Dry does something really cool where he, instead of sending everything to the newsletter, he actually starts sending like his newsletter people back to Twitter because that's his number one opt-in platform. So the people that are on his email list, like they're already interested in the content. They see that he posted a thread recently and they'll go like interact with it and then it boosts up the thread and then more people subscribe. And it's just like this really cool growth loop that he has going. This is pretty next level. I've been thinking about this too, of how do you use timeliness to cross platform, boost your posts in the eyes of the algorithm. It's really hard to do because optimally he would be posting a thread and then sending an email moments later, you know, That's what which, he does. I mean, the hard thing is like, like I use hype fury for posting a thread to Twitter. So I could schedule that for 11 a.m. and then schedule an email for 11.05. What I wouldn't have in that email right away is a link to the tweet. So is he is he posting it live on Twitter and then grabbing that link and going over to email? Yeah. He said he gets the email like 80% ready to go. And mm. then he writes the, the tweet or the thread or whatever he's going to promote. And then he'll publish the tweet and then immediately send the email. And so they both go out at the same time. It's a, it sounds like a lot. And I don't think he does it anymore because it's a lot of work, but he was doing that for a long time. It doesn't sound like that much work though. It actually sounds okay. You know, it sounds, yeah. it sounds not that bad. I would have to look and see how he is teeing up that thread because what he's probably not doing is embedding the whole tweet in his email. Maybe he is. If it's a thread, I guess you see the, the, the hook and you want to read the rest, but you wouldn't right. be able to do that with just a single tweet because then no one would click off. And I think he, he kind of, I don't know, I started doing this too. So at the bottom of the email, he'll say like, these take me 10 hours to create. It'll take you 10 seconds to go like this tweet. And so mm. like he kind of uses that to his advantage. So I do that in mine too. I'm like, so hey, like a, it takes me 20 hours. It's Can a call to action. Like it's, it is, yes. it's not like, it's not even just like, hey, let me see if people enjoy it. It's like, let me 
let me actually ask, like, please go support this. Yeah. All right. Well, you've spent hundreds of hours now doing these. I see mm-hmm. the immediate implications in your own newsletter from a lot of these. But let's let's talk about some of that. What what are some of the things that are working for you right now? Because you've grown and and don't be modest about this. Like how how long have you been doing this and what's the growth been like for you so far? Yeah. So I published the first um, issue of the newsletter on December 4th of 2022. So it's been four months, four and a half months. And you're I'm at, at 6,500. Incredible. Huge pace. You know, that's more than a thousand per month, which I just started reaching fairly recently. And again, six years over here. So <laughs> this is awesome. Tell us, tell Thanks. us what you've implemented that's working for you. Yeah. So like I was talking about before, the, re- the referral program does okay. Uh, I think that's driven me like 380 people. Cross promotions on an ongoing basis, I'll do those. Um, the big thing with those are sometimes it's like a hit or miss. Like I had this one that I was like, I'm going to get so many subscribers from this. And it literally drove me zero. What? Subscribers. And I was like, do they really have that many people on their list? <laughs> like I was shocked. Oh my gosh. Um, yeah. So some of them can be hit or miss. So I have zero hopes for any of these. And then I'm pleasantly surprised. So, I mean, you can get 50 to 100 from one, but... That one was a very interesting day. <laughs> okay. So you said cross promotions, you said referral program. What mm-hmm. else? So you were talking about Spark Loop. That one has been massive. Having people refer their newsletter uh, folks to me, as well as uh, me doing the same. And it's kind of like a little way to get on someone's radar, too. Like if you oh, add yeah. their newsletter to your re- recommendations, they're like, who's this that's referring me? It's kind of cool. I really like that. Especially if you start driving some volume, it's like, what is, who is this? What is happening? And you're doing, yeah. you're doing just the free side of it. You haven't started doing any of the, uh, the paid on it yet, have you? I have a couple of the paid ones um, in there as well. That but. you recommend or, but you, you're not paying to acquire yet. Oh no, I'm not paying to acquire yet. Okay. Yeah. I need to figure out monetization first. <laughs> <laughs> what? You want to, you want to earn money back before you start throwing thousands of dollars into email subscribers? Yes. That's crazy. <laughs> So Spark Loop has been awesome. And then I would say I did a giveaway with a couple other creators this past week or two uh, where we each put in $100 and we were giving away a $500 prize to one random lucky winner. And um, they essentially signed up for all of our email newsletters at once. But I sent out like uh, an email that said like, hey, remember you signed up for this. Here's like why you're getting this email and only 25 or so unsubscribed. So, so far that's done pretty well. Do you have them cohorted in a way that you can measure opens for that group of people? I do, but I've only sent like one newsletter since. I don't even need that. My, my suspicion, I haven't done any giveaways because basically like the, the story I heard from people who did a lot was like, you're going to get a lot of not fit subscribers who in the best case unsubscribe in the worst case, just stay subscribed and never open and are are a big bummer. So I would, if I ran that, I would want to cohort them just so I can measure that over time and see if that is true or if you are reaching the right audience also with the giveaways. Yeah, I know. It's a hit or miss. So TBD on that one. But Twitter threads every week, um, I will write a Twitter thread about that person that I did a deep dive on on a good week. They'll uh, retweet it or comment, like it. And that does really well to get more subscribers as well. That's awesome. I need to do a better job of that with my newsletter, with the podcast. I don't talk about it at all, really. Yeah, I agree. That was one of the things I was going to tell you to do. Okay. Okay. (laughs) Noted. 
<laughs> I get it. I get it. Uh, the other thing that you should be doing that does really well for me is um, teasing the newsletter the day before. Mm. That actually does like, it sends me 100 to 150 subscribers every week. Really? Yeah. Shit. And you have more volume than I do. So. What am I doing? I really should do that. The problem is sometimes I write it the day before. <laughs> oh, I do too. <laughs> well, you know the topic. Sometimes I don't yeah. even know the topic until I start writing it. Yeah. Yeah, I know. I see Justin doing it. He tells me I'm crazy for not doing it. And I'm like, it's not, it's not intentional. It's not that I'm intentionally not doing it, but that's, that's a good idea. Tease yeah. the newsletter the day before. Yeah. His method of doing like a mini thread. So like, you know, you have a hook of like what the topic is, get people interested. And then you're like, here's how they did it. And then the next one's like, oh, by the way, I'm sending out the full story tomorrow. Uh, definitely listen to him. This is my little trick. And it's not that revolutionary, but people don't do it at all. So I sign up for a ton of newsletters, A, because I reverse engineer people who have them. But so it's nice for me to like keep tabs on stuff. But the really crazy thing that I do is I reply to those people. Mm. So nobody does this. Even I have a newsletter, no one does it. So I'll reply and I'll be like, hey, saw you. This is your hundredth edition. Congrats, you know? And then in that email, I have my email signature. So it's my profile picture, the same one as Twitter and LinkedIn. And then I have like my name, a little blurb about growth in reverse and like subscribe here, but it's like hidden as an email signature. So, mm -hmm. but I've actually seen a lot of success with that. Interesting. Success in yeah. the form of they reach back out and you, you build a relationship. Yeah. So it's not a volume play, but it's a, if you want to get in front of like a really big name, that's my uh, trick there. Totally agree with that. Please reply to more of my emails. Um, <laughs> anything else that comes to mind? That's probably the biggest one. And then, I don't know, I started using pop-ups because Harry Dry said to do it mm. and it does pretty well. So It does pretty well. The exit intent pop-up does better than you expect. It's very surprising. Um, I don't want it to work, but it does. I know. Not my favorite user experience, but it's really not that bad. I think, I think exit intent is much better than like, you've gone idle. Let me now make it much harder for you to get back into this session because... That's a miserable user experience, in my opinion. All right. Well, I have two more quick questions for you, Chanel. Okay. Uh, the first one being, is there anybody you really want to reverse engineer, but you actually feel afraid to do it? Hmm. Not afraid, um, but I do want to reverse engineer uh, Jack Butcher, but he actually doesn't really run his newsletter anymore. So I feel like it kind of doesn't align as much as I want it to. All right. Chanel doesn't get intimidated. <laughs> I will have to. Well, it's easy to not get intimidated when you're just like sitting at your computer <laughs> looking at this stuff. <laughs> <laughs> then my last rapid fire question, is there anything that you have, anything that you believe to be true, but do not yet have the data to support when it comes to email growth? Ooh, that's a good one. I guess I would say that even if you do a bad job every week. If you put yourself out there, people are going to notice. And like the people who see what you're doing is going to be more valuable than you being scared to publish that week. Well, this has been awesome. This has been super insightful. Thank you for doing the hard work of reverse engineering these things. And thank you for bringing us the contextualized, synthesized summary of that. Thanks for having me. I hope this conversation with Chanel has given you some ideas that you can apply to your own email newsletter and its growth. If you want to learn more about Chanel, you can visit her website at growthinreverse.com or find her on Twitter at Chanel Co. Links to both of those things are in the show notes. 
Thanks to Chanel for being on the show. Thank you to Emily Klaus for making the artwork for this episode. Thanks to Nathan Tynehunter for mixing the show and Brian Skeel for creating our music. If you like this episode, you can tweet at jklaus and let me know. And if you really want to say thank you, if you really want to make my day, please leave a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. I see every one of them come in. It makes a big difference. Thanks for listening, and I'll talk to you next week. Bye.